pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the digest-sized Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? You started the show with no preamble. We just uh, jumped right into it. Man, I feel like I've been forced into a take. Well, this is like some work with Stanley Kubrick over here. Anyway, uh, I'm happy to be here, Shag, as always. Exactly. Now, it is time for us to do what I would normally refer to as our monthly review episode. <laughs> but I looked back, the last time we did a monthly, quote-unquote, monthly review episode was October 23rd. <laughs> That, that so word it's has no meaning while. anymore. And now with uh, Rebirth cranking out two issues a month, we have like a trade paperback-sized <laughs> edition of Aquaman to cover. <laughs> I'm going to talk two times as fast, so if you normally listen to the show at two times fast, you have to listen to it four times as fast to get through it. <laughs> well, uh, I've got a couple of things I want to talk about, but before we do that, we should probably take a t- second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? I've been uh, really mainlining on uh, Classic JLA lately, part of it because I've been listening to Mike Peacock's show that he does on Classic mm-hmm. JLA, which is a lot of fun, and I've been reading all the old comics. So I decided to go for Justice League of America Archives, Volume 9, the covers by Murphy Anderson. It's got all the little happy heads of Superman, Batman, <laughs> everybody's smiling back when they were happy to be part of the Justice League. Uh, the stories are by Denny O'Neill. The artists are, of course, Dick Dillon, which your pal Michelle Fief talked about, how much he liked Dick Dillon on your last episode of Jalai, which was great, by the way. Uh, uh, and like, Dick Dillon. Uh, that's Michelle Fife, and you can yes. write him an apology letter if you'd like. What did I say? You said Fief. Oh, I should have just said Michelle. Anyway, uh, Michelle, anyway, <laughs> he, he talked about how much he liked Dick Dillon, and I love Dick Dillon. I think he's great. So the artists are Dick Dillon, Sid Green, Gogia, Joe Giella. Page count 228. It reprints JLA numbers 71 through 80, 
which and that was those were some momentous issues. It was the ones where Black Canary joins, the new satellite is uh, created. It's great, and it features an intro by pop culture historian William Shelley. So it sounds like a great collection. Normal <laughs> price is of course forty nine ninety five because this is the slick hardcover. In stock, a trade price is twenty seven forty seven. That is forty five percent off. That's a really great deal of some classic JLA stories. Now, if those are written by Denny O'Neill, then you know the Aquaman scenes are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think Denny O'Neill did not know Aquaman was a member of the Justice League. <laughs> you know, those archive books, I mean, I just want to take a second to talk about those. Those are gorgeous. If you've never held one of these things, folks, first of all, they're, you know, as Rob said, hardcover. But these pa- the paper is archi- archival, I think I say it, paper. Really thick. The colors are strong. I mean, this is a gorgeous bound volume. I have the first six volumes of Justice League archives. $50 a pop. I bought them years ago when I was young. I was just stupid with my money back then. Yeah, I know. Me too. That's just crazy. <laughs> but uh, damn, they're gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful. It's funny. It's like I bought the first six, and then maybe, I don't know, I had a kid or something. The rest are showcase editions. You know, the black and white reprints. <laughs> Digest. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever I can find cheap at that point. But gorgeous, gorgeous books. So definitely, definitely pick that up, folks. My pick is, and this should come as no surprise, and it might just be my pick, pretty much until they release the Blue Devil Showcase, is Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, United We Fall trade paperback. This, folks, is the recent collection from Jerry Conway's Return to Firestorm. Woohoo! Uh, you've got art by Eduardo Pensica and Rob Hunter, cover art by Kerry Nord. Ooh, nice. And uh, this is about where Jason and Ronnie are dealing with being Firestorm. Jason ends up out of the Matrix, and Professor Stein comes in, so you get a Firestorm sort of back to the classic style with Ronnie and the professor and they're fighting multiplex and it is fantastic we covered it this past year on the show here i think it's fair to say they're collected in the legends of tomorrow uh anthology series i think it's fair to say we both really enjoyed this this storyline rob fair to say absolutely yeah 144 pages full color normally retails for 14.99 you can get it for 45 percent off which is a steal guys for eight dollars and 24 cents can't beat that so please head over to instocktrades.com pick up both of those and or if you order anything from them go up to the contact us button and let them know that the fire and water podcast network sent you so rob i gotta talk about something i'm super jazzed about Again, last time we recorded for this particular show was in October. Since then, a little cartoon called Justice League Action has premiered, and uh, there was one particular episode on November 26th. Now, I'm not sure if that was the UK airing date or USA airing date. I don't know. Whatever. Episode's called Nuclear or Nuclear. (laughs) Fell into that trap. I did. Nuclear Family Values, and it is a Firestorm-themed episode. It is an absolute... Delight is the is probably the best way to describe it. It's only ten minutes long. This thing's super short, so um, only ten minutes, and it's basically Firestorm battling. Remember the nuclear family from um, the Batman and the Outsiders? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's battling them, and it's a complete hoot. <laughs> Throughout the whole thing, Firestorm's got this bit where he's decided he wants to develop a catchphrase, and that catchphrase is "The heat is on," and. He, the way he delivers the line is hysterical. And it keeps going, and oh my gosh, it is really genuinely... I mean, like, kids' cartoons are fun, and you might think something... This is genuinely funny to me. I mean, I laughed out loud. So, uh, and Ronnie Raymond is voiced by P.J. Byrne, and little-known fact, he's actually John Byrne's illegitimate son. 
Uh, and then Professor... Not true at all. Then Professor Stein... I was like, what? I was like, wait, wait huh? <laughs> Professor Stein is voiced by Stephen Tobolowski. I, I know I said that wrong. But, uh... Oh, is that, really is that who that is? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. You know who that is, right? That actor? I didn't get a chance to look him up. The name's familiar. His voice you've, is familiar. You've seen Groundhog Day, right? Yeah, of course. Ned? Ned Ryerson! That guy. <laughs> that's Stephen Tobolowski. That's awesome. Okay. Well, it's, uh... This, this interpretation of Firestorm, like seeing it go, it was just, I, I liked Firestorm on the Brave and the Bull cartoon. Uh, of course, Firestorm's on the Legends of Tomorrow TV series, less said the better. Uh, this version of Firestorm was a pure joy to watch, and I felt like I was watching Firestorm as it's meant to be. A little sillier than normal, probably, but that's okay. It was a blast. Absolutely fun. Um, now, Rob, I, I hear you haven't seen it yet, is that correct? No, I've only seen little bits and pieces, but what I saw, I thought was terrific. And visually, I thought the visual style was great. It's it's, it's definitely the Bruce Tim kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of like Bruce Tim crossed with the Brave and the Bold style. I really, yeah. I thought it looked, I thought it looked really nice. And like I said, I thought what I what I liked, I thought the dialogue was snappy and I, all of it. I really liked. I want to, you know, I want to watch the show. You know, if it was like on regularly or something, I'm kind of frustrated that Aquaman is like not at on on it at all and like you know any of the pre-art they put out but what the hell you know okay we went through this when the show got announced you had your turn in brave and the bold buddy that's true aquaman god was the co- big you know the, as they called him the breakout star of brave and the bold well he was practically the co-star of the show yeah. i mean so he's big 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 name so it's firestorm's turn give him give him some give him a chance and a special thanks by the way to zoom yukinori who gave me a heads up when it aired and there were a few other folks out there that did give me a heads up when it aired and i appreciate that thank you so much um it really it really brightened my day absolute absolute hoot so all right uh anything any news on the aquaman front buddy uh, I think the only thing, really, they, I mean, there's been drips and drabs about the movie. Uh, they talked about, I think since the last time we've even talked about this, they announced that Patrick Wilson from Watchmen and the Insidious movies uh, will be Ocean Master. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> what? what do you, he will be. What? Well, did they say Ocean Master or did they say well, Orm? Orm? They call him Orm. But, I mean, okay, Ocean Master. I mean, I don't think he's well, literally playing. He's playing. Well, there's a distinction. I mean, well, Orm could be the obnoxious brother who doesn't become a supervillain yet because Black Man is the real villain of the movie, right? No, they haven't. No, they haven't said that. Uh, well, come on. Let's be realistic. It will be. And uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But so I don't anyway, know. You're, you're, he's only got two villains. Come on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, Okay. <laughs> anyway, you're derailing this whole thing. Anyway, Patrick Wilson, I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't, I, I don't really have a, a grand opinion one way or the other. The bits and pieces that I'm hearing from James Wan, the director, I'm liking. Uh, I heard that they hired the stunt team from Mad Max Fury Road to do wow. the stunts. That's cool. I would love it if uh, the movie had a similar sort of palette. That would be really cool. Uh, I like the idea that it's. he has said that it's going to be like kind of a swashbuckling adventure movie. Thumbs up to that. So, you know, everything I'm hearing, I'm liking. So, okay, let's, you know, the just the Justice League movie obviously will be the big indicator of where we're going. Uh, and it sounds like Justice League is going to be a pretty Aquaman-heavy movie because Volko is going to be in it, Mirror is going to be in it, all these things. So, you know, so far, so, so far, so good. I got to say, I, I know we've talked about this in a previous episode, but it's been a long time. I got to say it again. That shot they released of Amber Heard as Mara, 
was stunning. I mean, she's a beautiful woman anyway, don't get me wrong, but just her as Mara, she looked great. She looked regal. She had the red hair. She really, really worked as Mara. And, um, and I'm stealing a quote from someone else, and, and I forget who, who to attribute it to, but I said, you know, it's, it's the first time DC got a costume in a movie that looks better than someone cosplaying it. Um, Could so. Be. It looks great. I love her. I love the look they gave her. So it's very in line with Mera, but at the same time, in line with that design that they've given Momoa as Aquaman too. You yeah, know? that's the, true. Yep. And I, I'm getting so excited. I went out and uh, now I, I know how much you love the Peter David Aquaman, but uh, it's basically who Momoa is playing. At least it appears to be sort of the savage Aquaman. So I, I went out recently and bought myself an Aquaman action figure from the 90s. The hook hand one from one of the JLA gift sets. I think it's the best looking one with the hook hand and I just like, oh, so I love it so much. I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> I'm reading the Peter David Star Trek novel too. Does that make you feel any better? <laughs> I don't understand what reaction I'm supposed to have to that. I don't know. You, whenever the Peter David Aquaman gets brought up, you like. I, I hear your skin, you know, goosebump over Peter there. Da- Peter David's a great writer. I don't have any like I have any problem with that. And well, your voice is doing what's called a man howl, by the way, yeah, right I now. Understand. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess with that, it is time to cover the new Aquaman trade paperback that yes. we call. Issues 9 through 13. Issues 9 through 13. Okay, this is going to go really fast, people, so pay attention. All right. <laughs> so I know you know I mostly you tune out during these recaps, but I'm going to go as fast as I can. Okay, Aquaman number 9 is – the title is A League of His Own. It is – all these issues are by Dan Abnett. Obviously, he's the writer. And then the artists change up and uh, from issue to issue. So this one is by Abnett, Scott Eaton, and Wayne Foucher. Uh, this is where the Shaggy Man rampages toward Amnesty Bay. Uh, Aquaman gets beaten by beaten to a pulp, but in just the nick of time, Aquaman jams his JLA ID card, which he uses as a transporter, to beam the Shaggy Man into space because he jams it like in in Shaggy Man's fur. The Shaggy Man gets sent out in outer space where he floats away harmlessly. But even though the sea king, sea king wins the fight, he finds himself so beaten that he collapses onto the street. So that is basically the issue. Now, do we want to do the comments as we go, or do you want me to do them all in a row? Whatever you want to do. Um, why don't we blow through the whole thing, okay. and, then, and right. then we'll do it. Fair enough. Okay, so number 10, the story is Future Tide by Abnet. This one is by Brad Walker and Andrew Hennessy. Of course, Brad Walker has been doing all the covers, and with the alt covers are by Joshua Middleton, which are stunning. The Joshua Middleton, they deserve like their own book, the Joshua Middleton. Oh my gosh. He is just killing it every single month. Anyway, number 10 is Future Tide. The Oracle of the Widowhood tells Mira they cannot approve of her union with Aquaman. It's not because she isn't good enough for them or for him, but it's because they have visions that she will bring destruction to the kingdom. Mira heads to Amnesty Bay where she meets with Lieutenant uh, Stubbs from the Navy. Uh, While they have lunch, they are attacked by an assassin from the, the organization known as Nemo. Mira manages to stop him, but, but he escapes after he sets off a bomb, and she uh, uh, co- you know, stops it with her hard water powers to save the lives of everybody in the restaurant. It's after this that she learns how wounded Aquaman is, suggesting that the prophecy might be right. That's the end of that issue. Number 11 is called Condition Critical. It's by Dan Abnett and Philippe Briones. Mira visits Aquaman in the hospital. She tells him that she doesn't always think she, – she tells him she doesn't think they can be married, but Aquaman dismisses the judgment of the widowhood and says he wants to get married anyway. Then the Justice League arrives to tell him that they have – that he has their full support. 
After recovering, Aquaman and Amir return to Atlantis, where they learn more about the Splinter Group that is trying to start a war with the surface world. All this is interrupted when Atlantean ships make a frontal attack on several United States cities. That's a big deal. Then we go to number two. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Then we go to number 12, which is The Deluge Act 1. It's by Dan Abnett and Philippe Briones. Aquaman tries to get a handle on what is happening. He knows that it's only a matter of time until the U.S. attacks Atlantis directly, and the Sea King orders for his army not to retaliate. He then takes a moment to talk to Mira about arranging an ambassador, but she gets upset and takes off. Aquaman's sort of confused by this, but he doesn't have time to worry about it at the moment. Watching all this carnage from Nemo HQ is Black Mana, whose group is arranging strategic hits on the surface world to make it look like Atlantis is attacking all over the place. On top of all this, the Justice League arrives, telling their friend, quote, We gave you a chance. Which leads directly to number 13, which is the Deluge Act 2 by Abnett, Scott Eaton, and Wayne Foucher. The JLA demands to see Aquaman's evidence that Atlantis was not behind the attacks. The team seems skeptical, but Superman decides they will hear him out. They determine that the evidence is pretty compelling, with Batman even complimenting the detective work. While Aquaman heads out to stop an attack from the Nemo ships, Superman and the JLA head to Washington, D.C. to act as ambassadors. While Aquaman is face-to-face with the main ship's, the main ship's captain, Black Mana activates a controller exploding the guy's head. With no ability to question a Nemo agent, a branch of the U.S. government activates a secret strike force with one goal, to take out the enemy head of state, a.k.a. Aquaman. And that's the end of number 13. That's 9 through 13. I did it. <laughs> In probably a third of the time, I will take to cover one issue of Firestorm. There you go. <laughs> wow. So, big picture thoughts. I mean, I I really enjoyed these, this read, if you will, because I read it all in kind of one sitting to prep, prep for this. So, uh, my lines get a little blurred on what happened on what issue specifically. But overall, really enjoyed Now, big picture thoughts. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed all of them. Uh, I really thought the Shaggy Mint story was great. I loved the turn of beaming him into outer space. I thought that was terrific. My only, like, hesitation is having Atlantis, ha- having the Deluge or whoever attack the United States because it's like you're not there. Like, how do you go back from that? You know, like, yeah. I don't know how you get that genie back in the bottle. And, you know, I know it's it's the world of DC comics and, you know, people in the DC universe – forget things very easily because you have to <laughs> because you know what i mean you would just go i mean you I mean you know you're constantly being under attack by aliens and ghosts and all sorts of shaggy men and all sorts of crazy shit so i get all that but at the same time like um they have an appearance in the i think it's number 12 like obama is in it yeah He's actually in it and they don't normally do that they normally don't have i mean i guess that's more recently they've been doing it but like they generally don't have real presidents in these stories. So you're trying to give it some verisimilitude by making it like the real president. But if you're going to have it that way, then you are kind of like saying, well, this is more the real world. And the real world is never going to forgive Aquaman for Atlantis attacking, no matter what you can prove. Well, that's part of Nemo's plan though, too, is to say they forgive him once, but the second time. I know. Right. But I mean, but I mean, you know that Abnet is going to have to go back to that at some point. I, or Aquaman's going to be a, this pariah, which I don't think they're going to do. So that's a little like how, how do they, now. I mean, again, we haven't seen it yet. I mean, this, we're we're stopping the story midway through. So um, I don't I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go with it. But I'm just a little like, boy, that's it's, it's, uh, I don't know. And again, I don't know how you get that Pandora back in the box. But we'll we'll, we'll see. 
Well, I thought it was interesting the way they did it to start off where, with Aquaman fighting the Shaggy Man and just getting himself beat to a pulp for Amnesty Bay and everyone seeing it. And so yeah. the nation saw him you know, almost give his life for that, which I thought was great. Now, by the way, I got to say, issue number nine was my favorite of the lot. That's the fight with the Shaggy Man. I absolutely love that one. First, the art was really sharp. I really liked the Aquaman fighting the Shaggy Man because he is way outclassed. I mean, I remember reading it, and I don't usually when I'm reading a superhero comic, especially a modern day one, I'm just there for the ride. You know, I don't think too deeply about these things. But I found myself thinking in this, going, "How's he going to get out of this one?" I mean, they they straight up say you cannot beat this guy in a fight. And, you know, the, the satellite thing was very clever. I'm like, oh, that's pretty, you know, because they really had been baiting it for a while. Merck kept baiting. So, you know, Abnett did a good job planning that scene in the comic, talking about teleporting, talking about teleporting, talking yeah. about teleporting. So I didn't get that that was going to be the resolution. So it did a good job with telling the story and leading it. And it wasn't like a, a shock ending where you go, well, wait a minute. He pulled that out of his butt. No, we couldn't have guessed that was going to happen. I have a special so, anti-shaggy man power that I've never revealed right. before. <laughs> So I thought it was a really well-structured story. I really enjoy that. Um, and now, my f- the, in this issue is quite possibly my favorite moment in maybe all of the entire New 52 Rebirth Aquaman era. Um, and it's this quiet little moment. Uh, I, I bet you never would even guess it. You're probably like, really? But Aquaman is, you know, he's taking a, uh, taking a licking and getting the crap beat out of him. He goes flying into a grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the people try to help him up, and the, and, the, and the manager's yelling at him. And what I love is Aquaman's like, oh, and she's like, are you okay? And he says, Jennifer, I need you to get out of here. And then the guy yells at him, and he's like, Randy, I didn't mean to. He knows their names. He knows the people's names in the grocery store. Hmm. Okay, all right. And the fact, and that just goes, it, w- without going over the top, without hitting you over the head of it, it sells that he loves Amnesty Bay. That this is his town, damn it, and he is gonna—he's gonna die if he has to to defend it. And that—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm getting little goosebumps right now just thinking about him going, Jennifer, you got to get out of here. And it's just like, wow, that's just powerful to me. That's a I good need point. Yeah. I need a minute. That's no, that's a really good point. I—I I really, I've said how many for years we've been doing the show that I've said I wanted him to have a base of operations. Batman has one, and. You know, Superman has one, and Wonder Woman kind of occasionally has one. Flash has one, and I always thought Aquaman needed one, so I'm really glad that they've given him that. So yeah, I'm, that's that's a that's a yeah, that's a good observation. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, I like and I like that a lot because it it you know brings us back to Amnesty Bay, which is what I want. I yeah, I mean, I, we, yeah, I want him out of Atlantis. I want him in Amnesty Bay. And we we wanted Spindrift Station, but you know what? If we if we can't have Spindrift, I'm okay with Amnesty because I mean he grew up there. Now they've established that's where he grew up. Mm-hmm. You know, he went to high school there, which is a little unusual compared to previous histories. But whatever, I don't care. I buy it. I'm good with it now. So I love that. Um, you mentioned the Joshua Middleton covers. Holy, yeah, he's crap. killing it. He's killing it with these covers. Wow. And of all of them, I think the best one is the one for number ten, the mirror one of her swimming straight up. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Yeah, the problem is, gorgeous. I'm sorry, I interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I'm just no. Go ahead. I said the problem is every time I see one, I say this has got to be the best one. I know he keeps topping himself. Yep. <laughs> I do love the one with the with the Shaggy Man though. Even that's like this great monster cover. I mean, yeah. it's just there's he's, God, he's so killing good. it. They they really need to do. I would, I, I would say I would buy. I say that about a million things, but I mean, like <laughs> I really think like if I don't know how long he's going to keep doing these, but I mean, if you can get enough of them. I I, I guess it would be hard to do a book. 
but I really would love to see these collected in some form where you could just look at each of them one after the other. Like treasury-sized or something. Well, I've, well I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to argue about that uh, yet. Know, they eventually do the Aquaman treasury. They could commit to 13 pages in the back or something. There you go. Like how, many, how many covers has he done? When did he start? Did he start with issue one? He no. started with issue one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Well, these are just breathtaking. Um uh, the issue is, I think it's 10. Is that uh, the one that Brad Walker did? I, I love this guy's stuff. I really well, do. the Mara in Charge issue. Yeah, I just, yeah, I love, yep. I love that they gave her a whole issue. Mm-hmm. You know, just her being the boss. You know, the, the whole widowhood thing, like, I dig it. The uh, the vision, I was kind of like, eh, whatever. But, like, I dig that she's got her own dilemma to deal with. And it's not, it's not just shoving her in a corner. The, the plot's developing and it's growing. I kind of like that. But, um... I just I really like they gave Mara a whole issue, and I th- I think it's funny that Abnett went. It's like they always go out, whenever they bring in Salty, they always go out of their way to make sure somebody says like, "And our friend, the police officer, has been feeding you." Well, yeah, because you know, it's got to be a response to fandom. You know, all of us going like, "Who's feeding Salty?" The, the minute you interjected a pet into the story, you have to remind because then it becomes an anxiety in people's minds. You know, you're like, "Wait, who's taking care of the dog?" That's always you got to do it. Yep. I, I, I love, I love his body language. I mean, like the the page where Mira is coming out of the sea and she's squeezing her hair to get the yes. water out. Like he is, I really, really love his stuff. I mean, I think the other guys are doing fine work, Scott Eaton and Philip Rions, but Brad Walker to me, his stuff is very distinctive, and I really like it. And I wish he could do more. I wish he could just do more than because he doesn't do a monthly book. He does like a bi-monthly book. Because he doesn't do every other issue, that would make it monthly. He does like every third. Oh, so, I, hadn't, I hadn't picked. I hadn't yeah, noticed the pattern. Yeah, but. he's only doing like basically every six weeks. So you know, uh, but uh, I don't know. The stuff is gorgeous. That single page shot of Mira is great. I really they they did a great job finding him and and pairing him up with Dan Abnett and putting him on this book. I think it's terrific. I'm glad you mentioned that panel. I forgot to write it down. The one where she's wringing out her hair because. Mm-hmm. In 75 years of Aquaman now, like, I don't, and Mara's been around since the early 60s, I don't remember ever seeing an Aqua character wring their hair out, when you know, with a long-haired character wring their hair out when they get out of the water. But it's absolutely what they would do, you know, because yeah, their, yeah. their hair's dripping everywhere. I, I watch my wife or daughter, when they come out of the shower, they're wringing their hair out. It's yep. exactly what you do. But I've never seen it in a comic, and it just looks so real and so natural here. Yep. And it was just like, that's brilliant! So I just probably just repeated exactly the same thing you said, but I'm still really impressed with it. Um, uh, one, one, one detail I did want to mention is number it's number eleven where they go to where the JLA goes to visit Aquaman in the hospital. I mm-hmm. love that they have all their uniforms on. <laughs> it's oh, like, yeah? it's like imagine like if you're like a football coach or you're a football player and your teammates come visit you and they all have their padding and their helmets on, like just trying to fit them all in the room. They're all like clunking <laughs> into one another. It's like, you know, I mean, I know that they're in their super, you know, they obviously can't go out of costume because they have their secret identities, but it just looks funny to me the way that like superheroes now are kind of wearing these giant armored looking things. Nobody just has cloth costumes anymore. Everything looks like it's got fractal tech gear. And like, just, <laughs> hey now. Yeah, hey I know, now. I know. You say that like it's a bad thing. I do. Uh, but just them trying to fit into that room just cracks me out because we've all been in hospital rooms. I think of how tiny they are. Yeah. And just try to try to picture six giant humans fitting into this <laughs> tiny room. <laughs> One guy that's all metal, you know, just I love all that. It's just very funny to me. Now the stuff with Superman, and I can't remember if because it, it's been so many months, I can't remember if I talked about it last time or not. When when he went toe to toe with Superman, but 
it, it reads to me a little strange because I, I I read the monthly Superman books now. Uh, I read Action Comics and I read Superman. And let me tell you, since Rebirth, I started reading them. They're spectacular. They are so freaking entertaining. I never thought I could enjoy Superman this much again in comic book form. I'm so happy because uh, it, it's just a blast. But this is a different Superman. This is the Superman from the post-crisis era that we spent 30 years with. Right. This is not the Superman from the New 52. So this Superman's only known Aquaman for a few months, if that. Mm -hmm. And so for Superman and him to have such a thick bond and talk about their trust and friendship, I, I have a little bit of a hard time there just because it's like, well, Superman would have to be relying on his knowledge of Aquaman from the other Earth right. that he lived on. And Aquaman's having to trust that this Superman, you know, who he knows nothing about, really, um, is an okay guy. But you know what? For the sake of it, just forget it. I'll just accept it and go. Which is probably what they want us to do with Superman. They probably want us to forget that he's Superman from another Earth. They just want us to accept that he's the Superman, which is fine. But uh, that, I, I can't help for that to go through my head. And I am serious, folks. Guys, guys, try the Rebirth Superman and Action Comics. Like, I came the Superman books because I read the Lois and Clark miniseries, which was exceptional where they have a son and it's about them raising their son. So, and I followed Dan Jurgens there to action comics, but then I, I picked up the Superman book as well. And that's where I really fell in love. The Superman book by, um, uh, Oh gosh, Pat Gleason's the artist. And it's the guy used to be an editor. It's great. Oh my gosh. Wrote the green lantern core book. I can't believe I frozen oh well it's gonna come to me or someone's screaming it at their zone of phone right now it's the superman book is amazingly fun it's so good rob oh my gosh it's so much fun did i say it's fun anyway i think we got that i i also like that the cast of characters they're establishing and building up i mean some have been around for a little while but the ones they're building up for aquaman supporting cash you've got uh you know the british uh, royal navy officer the one whose dad's working for nemo you know she's kind of becoming a, a reoccurring character now we've got the feds who Aquaman calls every so often, mm -hmm. those two Fed agents, which I really like. Merck, I know how much you love Merck, but he is continues to develop into a worthwhile character. I mean, he was calling Aquaman shit on, in issue number nine. You know, he's basically saying, you need to call the Justice League and you won't do it because you're afraid. And I mean, he was right. He was calling Aquaman out. And I Merck's great. And I'd also, I still love that he's a representation of the Peter David era of Aquaman, physically at least. I love that. And then there's this new character, uh, Elder Roa. Mm -hmm. I don't, she doesn't look elder to me, but um, I, I like I like her solely because she's wearing the old, uh, you know, Aqua Camo Tempest costume. So I can't help it like that. And it's just, I like how it's all building and developing. It's really nice. Yeah, it's good stuff. I also love on the number 13 where Aquaman has the file that he gives to Batman. Through mm -hmm. all the clues, and there's like a little Aquaman symbol on it. I just love that Aquaman's branding his stuff the way Batman does. <laughs> took a took a way, took a tip from Mr. Wayne. <laughs> he's learning. He's a future movie star, man. You got to get the brand out there. It's good That's marketing. True. That's just what it's all about. And <laughs> I did like that plot point too, where like to prove their innocence, they actually, you know, it, it was a nice development by Dan Abnett to say that, oh, look, they've been collecting Atlantean artifacts for years. Yeah, you know to prepare for this. I'm like, that was really clever. Like, Oh wow. That, that explains a lot and gives me a lot of background and Oh, it gives them a detective point. Batman gave Aquaman a nice nod for detective work. I mean, that was cool. I like that. that was, I thought that was a, that was a nice little character bit that I enjoyed. Yeah. So overall, 
really enjoyed these issues. Uh, had a had a great blast. Great blast, whatever. And uh, it made a really nice little trade paperback sort of of sort of experience. <laughs> Even though this will probably be the second half of one trade paperback and the first half of a next trade paperback, I imagine. But yeah, I'm sure that yeah, I'm sure the deluge will be its own thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes too with Blackjack and uh, Nemo. Yeah, Blackjack. <laughs> I didn't even mention Blackjack. Yeah, Blackjack. <laughs> I love. I love that uh, that he's given that character Blackjack, the name of Blackjack. That's great. Hey, uh, and it wouldn't be me without saying she's still smoking hot. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, unless you've got anything else, sir? No, I think I'm, I'm good to go. Okay. I think uh, we're going to take a break, folks. We're going to play a couple podcast promos. And then when we come back, we're going to tackle Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 29. And then, then, your listener feedback. Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes, presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the Irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers. Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? Who's who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes. In the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! <laughs> Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s. From everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, We'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGpod.com and cordindustries.blogspot.com. on, folks, with the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 29, cover dated November 1984. It's uh, 75 cents American, folks, but Siskoid and those crazy Canucks had to pay 95 cents. Ha <laughs> ha, silly Mounties. Then again, Martin Gray over in the UK only had to pay 30p. What the hell is a p? Can you pay in urine? Weirdo limeys. 
And yes, wow, I know, I know what a pence is. ugly turn, wow. <laughs> I know what a pence is, folks. I'm just going for a joke, you anal retentive nerds. Um, all right, so this issue in particular, I got a little story. I know exactly when I bought it. I bought it just a couple of days after it came out because, as I mentioned, it's cover dated November 1984. The release date was uh, August 23rd, 1984. And I just got a little mixed up. I'm sorry. I did not buy this a couple days after its release. That's actually not the point of the story. It's the opposite of that story. I bought issues number 28 and 30, sorry, on the same day. Uh, in fact, that day I bought them was September 8th, 1984, which was just a couple days after number 30 came out. That's where I was mixed up. Anyway, on September 8th, 1984, I bought both issues 28 and issue 30. And if that seems freakishly specific in kind of a Michael Bailey way, don't worry. I don't actually remember the date. I was able to look up the day that Firestorm first aired in the Super Friends cartoon. That was the day I bought issue 28 and 30. And oddly enough, it took me more than a year to find issue 29 in between. So I had 28, I had 30, and then I continued on. I got 31, 32, blah, 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 blah. But it took me almost a year, or a year or more to find 29. So I, I don't know why. You know, nowadays, I mean, that's unfathomable nowadays. Nowadays, it's like, well, I'm just going to go to Comixology or eBay or Amazon or, you know, wherever you're going to find it. And uh, back then, you just were mile high comics. You couldn't do it. So the um, question is, was it worth the wait? I guess we'll have to find out here now. So 23 pages in this comic, seven distinct pages, uh, seven distinct scenes. And at uh, and as my friend Rob likes to say, at a 10,000-foot level, um, this story is really about the circumstances surrounding Firestorm's life being out of control. He is constantly ba uh, being attacked, he's, ba he's battling, and he is the victim of manipulation by clandestine organizations. So it's really about Firestorm losing control of the life around him. The cover, uh, Firestorm is, a, is in a really dramatic pose, and uh, he's got this – he's kind of facing the camera. His hand, one hand's in a fist. The other one's fingers out. By the way, the art is by Raphael Cannon and Dick Giordano. I really like the line work here. And the, behind him is this blue-clad blue bad guy whose name is Stratos, and he's commanding – hey, now, hold on. The cover – I'm only talking about the cover right now, okay? Stratos, he's commanding the serious gust of wind. I hate you so much. Did I do this with Aquaman? Anyway, serious gust. My wind. Aquaman comics didn't have Stratos in him. <laughs> On the cover, Stratos looks totally boss, all right? Anyway. Um, so. You don't know what words mean, do you? <laughs> I, I, I like the way he looks on the cover. Anyway, wind gusting everywhere. Meanwhile, there's this cool sort of silhouette looming overhead of this outline of this shadowy cloaked guy who we learn later is called Breathtaker. So I, I love the the line work on this cover. I really do. It's uh, The quote says, Stratos says, when the wind blows, you die, which is a great comic book kind of, you know. Front front piece, so it's very striking. I like Stratos's pose. I think his costume looks great. I love the diagonal lines to represent the wind. I think Firestorm looks intense. I think the Breathtaker is like loomingly kind of cool and fantastic and shadowy, like the manipulator behind the scenes. Um, the the downside of the cover for me, apparently Rob has a lot of downsides, but uh, the downside for me, of the cover is actually the coloring. And I, I checked, you know, I, I checked my own copy. I looked at other scans of the cover online. I even looked at my Comixology digitally recolored version. The colors just suck. It's like a, the background is like this lilac-y purple. But, and I don't know if that's what causes everything to wash out, but everything else is kind of washed out except for Stratos' blue. Firestorm's face is this really pale, sickly yellow. Um, the purple doesn't work. The colors just, it's, the colors suck some of the enjoyment out of the cover. So that really has always bothered me about this one. Cause I, again, I like the line work. It's just the colors are off. So Rob, 
you know, not that you've been telescoping or anything. What did you think of the cover? Uh, I, well, okay. I was laughing at Stratos. I wasn't really making any comment on the cover. Necessarily. Oh, well, I specifically said over and over, I'm talking about the okay, cover. All right. Well, I started to laugh because I'm looking at the other pages of Stratos and it kind of reminds <laughs> me of the pictures I've seen of you from the 80s. So that's what made me laugh. <laughs> Uh, no, I look. I, we haven't done a review issue in a while, so it may not. People may not remember. I have always. I think I've been extraordinarily complimentary towards Raphael Kenyon's work to this point because I've genuinely liked it. I don't think this is a very good cover. I, I, I think. I think design-wise, it's not great. I don't. Everyone is looking in the same direction. They're all looking at the cover. They're all looking at the UPC symbol. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't look like Firestorm is reacting to what Stratos is doing. It looks like they're both looking at something else. Um, Firestorm's foot is right at the bottom, so it kind of looks like he's standing on something, even though he's not. He's flying. So yeah, design-wise, I just don't think this is a particularly great line work. I agree. I think it's great. I think Kynan, Kynan, and Giordano make a great team. Uh, I like the shape of Breathtaker in the background, but just design-wise, and I do, I, I agree, color-wise, it's all washed out. And in my copy, Firestorm's face is almost, is like um, hepatitis yellow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, that's just a printing mistake. That's not the colorist. That's a red, that's a registration mistake or something. Because you, they, they you can see the, the, the Stratos' skin is normal color. Oh, that's true, it, yeah. It's the digital perfect. recoloring is bad, too, sadly. That's weird. Okay, they didn't correct it. So, you know, I mean, not every I, – I think – especially we even talked about the very – the issue we did before this, 28, right? Mm-hmm. That, I thought that cover was great. And the one before with Black Bison, the all-black cover, oh, that yeah. one was oh, really yeah. good. So, you know, hey, you can't win them all. And I just think this one was just kind of eh. Well, I'll just go as – we, as we open the cover, I will just say I really enjoy the cover. So let's get into the comic, though. <laughs> now, by the way, I do want to mention, cause since I mentioned Comicsology, I read this thing. I read the uh, physical print copy and I read the Comicsology one because I do like reading the panel view, which is still a lot of fun. But I got to say, Comicsology, I'm pissed at you guys. They, the coloring, and I think Zoom Yukonori noticed this too in, in a recent post he did about uh, Who's Who, basically hoping that Comicsology fixes their sloppy coloring before they ever do who's who. But um, the interior coloring coloring is sloppy. It's like it's done digitally, and it seems like they're using almost like an airbrush tool or some soft edge tool rather than a sharp or fine edge tool. You know, if you ever use Photoshop, you know there's like soft edge and harder edge and things like that because it causes the colors to be sort of blurry, and it, they don't really fit into the black lines perfectly. Sometimes they either go out beyond the black lines or they don't quite reach the black lines or it's not – a the full bleed of the black lines. So it literally looks like somebody sort of airbrushed it and missed some spots. So the colors themselves pop because it's digital and, and it's, you know, strong, but the precision is sloppy and it's just, uh, the original comic looks better. So it's, it's disappointing. So, oh, by the way, the cover does have one mistake, sort of, uh, they attribute Jerry Conway, Joey Cavallari, Rafael Cannon, and Roden Rodriguez. Technically they list Conway in a writer spot, but he didn't write this issue. He only edited it. So, but given the, the the strong hand he had in the book, maybe he feels like you know he was more than a, a more of a writer editor. I don't know. But either way, get into the credits. It's called the Assassination Bureau. I just mentioned everyone involved: writer Joey Cavallari, penciler Rafael Cannon, inker Roden Rodriguez, letter Duncan Andrews, colorist Nancy Houlihan, and again editor Jerry Conway. Now the story opens atop the World Trade Center in New York. Yes, 
that World Trade Center, uh, we meet a new bad guy whose name is Stratos, Rob's new favorite character. He commands the wind, causing gale-force winds to whip around the tourists who are on the observation deck of the World Trade Center. These poor folks are being whipped all around, being knocked off their feet, and keep in mind, they're a hundred stories up in the air. Now, thankfully, Firestorm arrives to stop Stratos. Firestorm tries some transmutation, but Stratos gets the upper hand, blowing the tourists off the building, which is probably what they're looking at on the cover, by the way. They're watching the tourists fly off the cover, but... Or fly off the building. But anyway, so he leaves these tourists to plummet a hundred stories to their deaths. Uh, Firestorm saves them by transmuting some of the observation telescopes into a waterbed and providing the tourists with a nice soft landing. And since it's a waterbed, it's just like a funny gag for us fans. I love that kind of stuff. Then Firestorm is nearly cooked by a surprise attack. It's an explosive cannon fired by, wait for it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rob, we need a drum roll here, I think. I am proud to announce the winner of the 1984 worst character find of the year. It's Bazooka Joan. That's right, folks. Bazooka Joan. Like the sort of almost kind of like the chewing gum character. Not Bazooka Joe, but Bazooka Joan. Oof. Firestorm is attacked by this woman who's wearing an eye patch. An eye patch, sort of like Bazooka Joe's, by the way. And she's flying some kind of sky cycle. And the cycle has mounted this enormous bazooka. And with one simple blast, Firestorm disarms the cannon, and then he magnetizes the roof of the World Trade Center, incapacitating both the bad guys. Yeah, um, truth to be told, the battle and the resolution were kind of lame and pretty ridiculous. Six pages of Firestorm to take him down with one zap. But during the battle, however, Firestorm, uh, he was transmuting stuff as you go, as Firestorm does. And Professor Stein was, like, getting on Ronnie's case about damaging other people's property. Like, oh, that Ronnie, that belongs to the city. You can't do that. And uh, now, Professor makes a very fair point, but it's kind of strange in that he hasn't brought this concern up for the past seven years they've been Firestorm. Now, uh, here's where we get to the part where everybody remembers from this issue. Well, Firestorm's explaining to the police about the people and the magnetizing of the roof. This woman comes storming up the roof of the World Trade Center. She's got long black hair, and we've met her a few issues ago. It's Felicity Smoke. Not our favorite blonde knockout from Arrow, but her comic book inspiration. Felicity lays into Firestorm, explaining that magnetizing the roof of the World Trade Center has ruined all of her software and her computer records, and this is the second time he's done it to her. He has effectively bankrupted her company, and she plans to start a class action lawsuit against him. Firestorm is, is very frustrated. He quotes Popeye, of all people, and turns her polyester clothes into soap bubbles, leaving her basically naked on the roof of the World Trade Center. Firestorm then takes off with Professor Stein chastising Ronnie about losing his temper. Then the scene changes, and we meet two mysterious people. One is shrouded all in black. He's like a living silhouette who's called Incognito. And the other is the man who's in charge. He's wearing a cloak, which is the color of 1980s electric crimson, as I call it, which is basically like a dark purple, uh, with glowing white eyes. And he's called the Breathtaker. Now we find out that the 2000 committee, who's been in the last several issues, has hired the Assassination Bureau to finish off Firestorm. Uh, that's who Stratos and Bazooka Joan were working for, and it sounds like the hiring practices of the Assassination Bureau are pretty suspect. Uh, then in, now it's time for a subplot catch-up, where we uh, we catch up with Ronnie Raymond at his high school. We find out there's a segment of the school population that doesn't like Ronnie. Uh, we meet these girls that resent his popularity. They think he acts like he owns the world, and he, they resent the fact that he's even ignorant of the fact that people don't like him. Then we catch up with Ronnie's dad, Ed Raymond. Uh, we learn that the newspaper he works for is being shut down under mysterious circumstances, and Ed is fearful for how he's going to help provide for Ronnie. Then we catch up with Professor Stein, who is dating – whoop, whoop, go Marty. He is dating uh, Belle Haney, 
no relation to Bob Haney, as far as I know. But she is the mother of Bug and Bite, Rob's favorite other villains. And uh, they are having a nice, quiet picnic in Central Park when suddenly it's interrupted by a volcano that rises up out of the lake near them. Yes, that's right, a freaking volcano in Central Park. So Ronnie and Professor merge into Firestorm, and they try to battle the volcano. We get some fun science facts, which I thought was pretty cool, actually sort of like old Flash style, where Ronnie's going to put a giant cork in the volcano, but then he remembers that that'll make the pressure worse. So instead, he turns the lava into Frisbees. Now, after Firestorm battles the volcano for a while, comes the big shocker for the reader. Uh, It turns out that Firestorm isn't battling a volcano at all, folks. He just thinks he is. He's seeing it in his, his mind. It's being projected mentally by another foe, a woman known as the Mind Boggler. She's dressed in the style of a 1980s punk rock chick. Or, to be more exact, she's dressed in the style of a punk rock chick as imagined by a bunch of men who have no real connection or understanding of what punk rock is. Uh, She's got shock white hair. It's buzzed short on the left-hand side of her head, while the right-hand side is really long and stands straight up like it's trying to get away from her head. She's got a choker, leather jacket, studded belt, and boots. She's got this torn half-shirt with the letters M and B for Mindboggler. The reality is that Firestorm has been blasting away in peaceful Central Park, again, seeing this volcano in his head. So he's been zapping the lake and endangering some guy who's in a rowboat. And instead of creating uh, frisbees like he imagined, he was actually dropping razor blades on the people in the park and had no idea. The park visitors are screaming in terror, and Firestorm continues to blast away, completely at the mercy of the Mindboggler. And uh, the breath we find out the Breathtaker we met earlier from the Assassination Bureau is pleased with Mindboggler's performance, but Incognito is frustrated. He wishes a more subtle approach to taking down Firestorm, and he plans to do just that. Next issue, Terror Incognito. So, Rob, what did you think of this issue? Uh, Well, my only conclusion, I mean, we don't know who created Stratos, right? I mean, is it, we don't know that it was, whether it was Jerry as editor or Joey Cavallari as writer. Fair to say. We don't know that. Okay. So whoever, if it was Jerry, we can only assume that Jerry was like, okay, in the previous issue that he created Slipknot, that he was like, okay, I created too much of a heavy hitter. With Slipknot. I, I really created like a dark side. So I need to come up with somebody lame uh, in contrast <laughs> to Slipknot. So I have this idea. How about this guy with the giant flowing mane of white snaky hair and he's got the weird strappy shoes and he's got this big floofy thing on his pants. I, this guy just could not. T- this guy just just ridiculous. I just couldn't. You know, I had a real tough time. Uh, okay. Stratos. Um, I'm sorry. I have to ask. Yes. Of all the things to make fun in this book, you are going to attack Stratos before talking about Bazooka Joan. I did. I did. You know, I did enjoy Bazooka Joan in her own oh, way. I wish. Gosh. I wish. I wish that Bazooka Joan had told jokes like Bazooka Joe. That would have been <laughs> funny. Where she was like, she's like, "Hey, Firestorm, you're like school on Sunday," and he's like, "What? No class." Like that would have been great. That would have been a whole bit. She would have made a killer superpowers figure with her with her her giant uh, revolver cycle thing that she had. That's great. So I no, I sort of see. I feel like Bazooka Joan moves over into the realm of so goofy that she's great. Stratos just sits in the realm of just terrible. Um, I like the whole bit with Firestorm turning in the thing in the soap suds. That was kind of like you know a little naughty. I genuinely like Breathtaker. Uh, is this his first appearance? Have we seen him before? Yes, this is his first appearance. Okay. Yes. I actually like him. I think his visual is great. I really like that listing. I think it's K&N did for Who's Who. 
He's the one. Some, who whoever it, did it did a great job. Yeah, that's a great listing. So that that looks really. So I really like this villain. So it's like in the middle of all these really lamos, we have somebody really cool. Um, so. Yeah, and and like the last page is looks kind of rushed with all the silhouettes. Yeah. So, you know, I just think we we've been really complimentary. Pre- all I think in like almost all twenty eight issues previous to this, plus the annual, uh, and I've genuinely liked them. I just thought this one was just kind of eh, okay. So, you know, again, it, they can't all be winners. So, you're yeah. you're, you're more complimentary than I would be. Um, I don't feel like this was just eh, okay. Um, I'm I trying feel- to be. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, bottom line, I feel like it's kind of a dud, uh, honestly. Yeah. It's like I feel like the lack of Jerry Conway is being felt here, is what it is. Now we know why he, he didn't abandon the book. He's over here developing the Justice League Detroit right now, and and say what you will about Detroit, <laughs> I love it. But it, you know, the development and the creation and writing the annual and all that that takes a lot of time. So that's where Jerry's time is having he's to be a right lot now. Of stuff back then. He's writing a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's so I could see why he had to sort of like take a back seat on the on the book, but I think we can feel it here. Um, you know, Bazooka Joan and Mindboggler, they just they lack the excitement and the raw potential that Jerry's foes usually have. Like, I feel like incognito. I'll take an opposite position. I feel like Stratos has potential. You know, wind powers. Now, it's a little similar to Typhoon. Not a lot, but a little bit. I feel like somebody with wind powers that's got kind of the flowy look because it's wind. And Incognito, who's all black silhouette. I think those two have potential if you develop them. But I feel like all four of the villains in this book, Breathtaker, Incognito, Stratos, and Bazooka Joan, all were written like those bad guys in the Dan Jurgens books. Uh, the Dan Jurgens Firestorm series, where we got introduced to a bunch of bad guys whose names, to this day, I can't even remember. I mean, they were fine as bad guys, but they were so generic. There, there were they, he introduced a bunch of bad guys who were just there to fight. We never learned any of their history, never learned their motivation, nothing. Same with all these guys, you know. Other than breathtakers trying to make money, uh, we don't know anything about them. Now, Mindboggler is the one who eventually will probably get developed the most, and uh, unfortunately, I freaking hate that character so much. I it's something about mental powers. You and I have talked about this before. I hate bad guys with mental powers when like the hero is fighting illusions and you just want to scream at them like cut that crap out you know it's like you know where the story is going to go you know that they're going to endanger a bunch of people you know that they're thinking they're doing the right thing and it's just a matter of time till their willpower kicks in and they can and it's just i just don't like mental bad guys that's my hang-up personally but um i just loathe mind boggler so there's something about the way stratos talks that makes me dislike him too i mean like you know, he opens the first time we see him. He's like, "But they can't fight the air about them. Taking on Firestone will be a breeze for Stratos." Like, oh god, he's doing puns. Like, I, you know, it's it's not just the look. It's just that he is just. Whenever I benchmark a Firestorm villain, I try to say, "Would this make a good Spider-Man villain?" It's kind of how right, I do sure, it. Because I mean, that's, right. let's face it, that's the way Jerry yes, created villains. The template here, sure. Yep. And Incognito and Stratos seems to me like they could work in the Spider-Man universe, whereas Mindboggler and, and Breathtaker, I don't know, maybe Breathtaker. Now, unfortunately, I know the payoff with Breathtaker, and the payout doesn't, oh, doesn't okay. that check doesn't that check doesn't cash. Okay. But um, I don't know. All right, so let's talk about Felicity Smoke. All right, now first, let's just take a moment to imagine uh, Emily Bett Richards, who plays Felicity Smoke and Arrow. Let's just imagine her standing naked in the soap bubbles for a minute. Hmm. Now. Well, I love seeing a hot woman naked. Um, that scene bugs me, actually. It was 
Now, and this isn't a criticism against the writing. This is more like against Ronnie. But it was extremely immature and way over the line for Firestorm to zap off her clothes. I mean, what the hell? I mean, seriously, such a teenager move. You know, he screws up. He's in trouble. He has no appropriate response. So he tries to embarrass the adult, basically, is what he does. I mean, like, even I'm disgusted by this move, really. It really bothers me as an adult. Now, as a kid, I probably thought it was hilarious. And it, and maybe this is me just channeling having to raise a teenager myself. I don't know. But, like, it really – that bugs the crap out of me. I was like, really? That's just horrible what he did there. But I guess it was live action. I would have liked it a heck of a lot more. But <laughs> – uh, and did you notice they made a point of saying about Felicity's clothes were polyester? And he says, good thing your clothes were polyester. So that's implying he's glad they're not cotton because that would give credence to that whole thing we talked about last issue about how apparently cotton and hemp are apparently organic. Oh, right, um, yeah. And Armstrong can't affect. <laughs> good thing the story uh, takes place when it does. Meaning backed up, back, you know, back to back with that one? Polyester. Yeah. Polyester was big back. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Wouldn't work now, buddy. <laughs> so, so basically, any villain that dons a leisure suit in the seventies and eighties could defeat Firestorm. Is what we're saying. No, Firestorm could own them. So, oh uh, well, dep- well, weren't leisure, leisure suits were polyester? Weren't oh, they? you're right. No, I'm, yeah, it'd be the opposite. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. So you would not want to wear a. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So, again, uh, it's there are some things to love about this issue. You know, Raphael Cannon's art, um, it's solid. It's it's not his greatest issue, and I'm, I don't mean that as a criticism. It almost feels like there's. <laughs> That's exactly what it is as a criticism. I guess it is. Okay, fine. It is. All right. I'll, I'll there, and 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 it's. Maybe more with the inking, but like when you look at pages, you know, 12 and 13, when the volcano's coming up in Central Park, that doesn't look like Raphael's usual work, you know? And I know Roden Rodriguez is the inker, but Roden usually does really strong work. Like like the inking on page 11, which is Ed at the newspaper, looks great. But when you get to 12 and 13, that doesn't look like Roden Rodriguez. I mean, I wonder if there was um, some many hands going on here or something. I, I, I don't – Okay. I mean, I, I feel like some of the storytelling is a little unclear. And to me, the whole issue just looks a little rushed. I don't, I don't want to keep going on and on about it because I feel like I've said my piece. But just like the last page looks rushed to me. Okay. To me, that suggests that's more canon than it is the inking. But you know, it could be, could be. And part of that could be the thing I'm going to talk about in just a second. But um, now, I, I bagged on this issue pretty hard. That's not typical for me. I do love this series, guys. So don't – just please know if, if, if this is the first issue or episode you've listened to in a long time, it's not that I don't love this series. I absolutely do. I love the team of Jerry Conway, Rafael King, and Roden Rodriguez. They are awesome. But as Rob said at the beginning, you know, let's just put it all back on Rob. You know, some issues are winners. Some issues aren't. So Now, it could be that part of the reason the art is a little rushed, Rob, is because coming out this same month was Firestorm Annual Number 2 which did feature artwork by Raphael Cayannon. There you go. So that may be, uh, and I'm, I'm saying that off the top of my head. I think so. I, I know he did the cover. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did the interior. But uh, that's actually what we're going to cover next, folks. It's, so you're not going to read Fury of Firestorm number 20, 30 to prep for next time. It's going to be Fury of Firestorm annual number two. And let me tell you, this is an odd one, folks. Uh, Rob, I don't think you've read ahead yet. I have not. But th- this is weird. Set aside some time because this is actually a short story written in text with just a few spot illustrated highlights. Ooh. Yeah, it's a text piece. 
And given that it's an annual, it's bulk size. I mean, this is, takes a while to read. And uh, it's got some crazy stuff going on, too. A little bit more Firestorm seeing weird things. But um, it's going to be really unusual and should be a lot of fun to do. Jerry brought in someone else to help him write it. And uh, it, it's going to be a very different sort of issue for us to review. I'll take the day off from work. <laughs> I don't know if it'll take that long. but <laughs> Oh, no, no. I'm, I'll do it. It's fine. I, it's not a sacrifice. <laughs> Understood. Understood. All right. Well, that is Fury of Firestorm number 29. With that, folks, I think we're going to go right into your feedback. And we will start first with your iTunes reviews. And, folks, I I say this every time. I just want to point out, please, if you could go out to Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, on iTunes and leave us an iTunes review, that would be really, really choice. We would appreciate it. uh, You know, we switched feeds uh, just short of a year ago. And uh, actually, almost a year ago. It's like, what are we, 11 months now? And uh, our old feed had over 100 iTunes reviews, which were fantastic, which really helped people find the show. Well, the new show, we've climbed up to over 30 reviews, which is great. But we could use some more to help, uh, you know, get the word out there. If you don't mind, we would really appreciate it. And uh, you will have our eternal thanks, and we will write your name on a slip of paper and put it under Rob's pillow when he goes to bed every night. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's very exciting. I'll do it in Sharpie markers. It's really good. So uh, the first review we got is from our pal Lucien Desar, uh, who was recently in the same room as Emma Stone, my future wife, Emma Stone. So I'm very jealous about that. But um, what? Did, did, I said no way. Really? Yes. yes. He went did to he a, have his uh, sharks and buckets? I don't know. He went to a special screening of La La Land, and she was there. And I'm very jealous. So anyway. Uh, anyway, the review he wrote, he says, get ready to be caught on fire and doused with water. <laughs> Like Siskel and Ebert, or more like Statler and Waldorf, Rob and Shag make a great team up. Uh, with their wit and banter about Farsham and Aquaman, admittedly an unusual combination, their discussion about old and new comics are very entertaining. The odor quality of the show is very well done, and the pacing of the podcast is perfect. So if you are driving to work, jumping into a pool of hungry sharks, or repairing a nuclear reactor, check out this podcast. You'll love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lucien. By the way, we should say one of the ways we thank people for doing their iTunes reviews is we read their entire review from iTunes. So uh, right. that's so that's one of our ways of saying thank you. Right. Uh, another review is from Oli Almeida, and he says, "Finally, wow! After 183 episodes, I'm finally finally caught up. It only took me less than a year. <laughs> even, wow. even the five-hour-long episode, yes, even that one, but I made it. <laughs> 2016 was a great ride, and hopefully, 2017 will be even better. Oli, you're crazy." Listen, uh, you're absolutely concentrated like that. I can't believe you did all of that in a year. Um, and personally, 2016 wasn't the best of years, so I'm really hoping 2017 will be a better one. But uh, <laughs> I think he means for us, person. I think he means for the show. Oh well, okay. Well, I mean, I had to record with Rob a lot, so I mean, you know, there hopefully, two, yeah, hopefully 2017 will be better. But uh, then we heard from, and and I only know this guy is Sinji Seventy. Uh, he he. I, I checked him out. I looked for him everywhere. So I don't know your real name. Even on YouTube, he called himself Sinji70. But he wrote, how could you not love these guys? This wasn't the first comic book podcast I started listening to nearly four years ago. But this one is definitely the most entertaining and influential to my comic book taste and wanting to start a pod- as a podcaster. Rob and Shag are two of the funniest and most knowledgeable old fogies. Hey, wait a minute. What? Uh, two of the most knowledgeable. He must be talking about Rob. Anyway, most knowledgeable old fogies in the podcast game. And as someone who started reading during the New 52, for the most part, it's cool to listen about eras I'm not too familiar with. I never miss an episode, and I'm constantly agreeing with Shag when women are hot, even though Doreen Day isn't that bad, or Rob wanting to see Aquaman outside of Atlantis. As I've said out loud many a time, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, 
All in all, it's a great podcast, and I recommend it to everyone who asks me for a new podcast to listen to. Listening to these guys that put Firestorm in the top in my top three heroes, whoop, whoop, an Aquaman book I look forward to every month. When years ago, I would have just gave uh, them an audible huh, to either one. The only minor complaint I could give is wanting to get more of the classic Aquaman talk from Rob and maybe listen to Shag tackle the Jason Rush Firestorm. The podcast, and by extension the network, is required reading for any fan of DC Comics, and every episode reminds me of sitting with friends and talking about how amazing this medium is. Well, thank you, Shinji. Um, and you know what? It, it, that's kind of the intention. Is it is supposed to sound like a couple of friends sitting around? Well, we tend to be friends, but uh, it's supposed to sound like a couple <laughs> of friends. Two legally contracted strangers. <laughs> it's supposed to sound like people just having fun talking about it, and that's yeah, that's what we're going for. So we're really glad. And you know what? Your wish for Rob to talk about classic Aquaman and me to talk about um, Jason Rush Firestorm. I think that's very doable, Rob. I think we can set aside some time to do that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to hit on that in some of the the previous shows that I've done with guests. Like, we did the... I mean, I don't know what his version of classic is, exactly. But, like, you know, I did the episode uh, with Max, where we talked about the Adventure Comics run. And I did the episode Mm -hmm. with Laura, where we talked about the Golden Age run. So, I mean, I've been trying to get to that stuff here and there. But I would love to get to the 60s stuff. I haven't really done any of the... You know, the Bob Haney's or the Steve Skeets. I haven't really gotten to any of that yet, and so I, I absolutely would love to. We should, you know what we should do? We should do, um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> we have so many things we want to jam in. I know. There's only so many weeks. I know, but like, I would love to do that, that Steven's, the, the SAG, you know, uh, yes. uh, Steven Skeets and Jim Aparo and Dick Giordano, the search for Mara. That, or it's the a hunt great for storyline. The search for Mera. Right. It's a great, great story. If we did the search for Mera, and then we did um, the 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 Jason. There's a storyline with Jason Rush when Stuart Moore was writing it, and Jason was actually merged with Professor Stein, and then with with uh, Lorraine Riley, and those were exceptional. Those were great, and those would both be fun things to do, and would fulfill his request. And I think we'd both be happy with both of them. <laughs> I, would, I would love to get more attention to that run because it's still still. 50 years on has not been reprinted. Has it been 50 years? Oh my gosh, it has. Holy moly. Okay. 66, 67. So, yeah. That's insane. Okay. Uh, well, folks, that is going to do it for the iTunes reviews. Please, please, if you don't mind, go out and give us a review. It would be really appreciated. Now, what follows are going to be comments from episode 178, which was, again, all the way back on October 23rd, uh, which is when we covered issue number, um, what is that? Whatever the Aquaman issues were. I guess that would have been. Seven and like, eight. Seven and eight, and Fury of Firestorm number 28, which was the introduction of movie star Slipknot. By the way, since then, I have seen the Suicide Squad movie and uh, don't really have much more to say about that than that. Uh, we heard from Professor Alan Milton from the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, who uh, has shows like the Quarterman Podcast, the Short Box Showcase, and uh, has another network uh, they do called the Dorkness to Light. Anyway, he uh, because we had hyped up Slipknot and we've been talking about it, like it, it had all been leading to this. He says, such a great final episode. Really respect you guys for going out on top. What? Really? They're going to do more after this? Why bother? Hashtag the shark has been jumped. <laughs> Thank you, Professor. Yes, it, reaching this Slipknot issue after talking about him since, since literally the first episode of our show. Uh, although now, in hindsight, I think Bazooka Joan was the bigger mort than the Slipknot. But anyway, um, I, I, I was quite triumphant to get there. Then we heard from our buddy Daniel Cynical Adams, who is the singer in the Bad Mama Jamas, who does our closing theme song every week, uh, every episode. He, uh, we talked about the song and the closing song and how much we loved it. And he said, thanks for the kind words about the closing theme, Michael Bailey. And he says, Shag should take some of the credit, though. I mean, he did sing part of it. And then in quotes, he wrote, well, 
sing. <laughs> it's me going, and Firestorm! <laughs> I'm horrible. Yes. Uh, Ryan Daly from our own network, of course, does Power of Fishnets, giving those Star Wars, his Midnight the Podcasting Hour Nightcast. The man single-handedly leading the charge to make ShamWow a household word again. He says, uh, I don't, Shag wrote that joke, I don't get it. Anyway, uh, he, <laughs> says, uh, <laughs> he says, I really dig those variant covers by Joshua Middleton. Great stuff. Yes, we agree. I want to say that the Shaggy Man was introduced in the first arc of the new 52 Justice League of America by Jeff Johns and David Finch prior to the Trinity War crossover. If not, he might have appeared in a one-panel flashback scene of a previous Justice League adventure. Yeah, I don't remember that. I, I had wondered whether Shaggy Man was an established JLA villain before this run, but uh, Ryan is saying he was, so okay. Well, Noah Abe followed up and right. says that is indeed where he first showed up in the New 52. And he says, I'm not sure if anything happened pre-Flashpoint that made Shaggy Man and Wade Island separate entities again, but if they were both were very different in the New 52. Now, I read that Justice League of America run. I have no recollection of the Shaggy Man. So I, I do think the more I, you know, it's like I, in my mind now I'm seeing a flashback panel. I think they're right. I think it was a flashback panel to when Martian Manhunter was a member of the Justice League during that gap between when they when they first get meet in Justice League number one, and then they jump because they remember that took place five years ago, and then the book jumps forward five years or the yeah. team's been around for five years. Yeah. Supposedly Martian Manhunter was a member in between there, and I want to say that's when they fought the Shaggy Man, and I. Didn't remember that until this very moment, and I could have it wrong, but I think that is, in fact, when it happened. Okay. Uh, we got a message from the old koala puncher himself, Paul Hicks, for those the Waiting for Doom <laughs> podcast. He says, super weird hearing my own voice during the feedback segment. That's Paul referring to my pitch-perfect Australian accent that I did. It was, it was uncanny. It was like Paul Hogan was here with us. Absolutely was. Uh, Rob, he says, Rob, this is because of the Barney Rubble comparison, isn't it? Yes, Paul. Yes, it is. And then I, I responded and said, words hurt, Paul, maybe not in the crime-ridden post-apocalyptic outback you live in, but here in America we are more civilized. Of course, I said that pre-election. Paul, and then Paul Hicks, wrote, Paul Hicks re responded, let's hug it out, little buddy. Uh, no, knowing full well I'm not going to travel all the way to the other corner of the world to do that. So uh, we'll just have to sort of agree to disagree, Paul. Well, if I remember, the Barney Rubble comment came about uh, that we were just talking about how smooth Zoom Yukonori sounded right. on an episode yes. with you. Yes. And by comparison, you sounded like Barney Rubble. <laughs> I don't mind insults about my voice. I just think the Barney Rubble comparisons. <laughs> but I mean, compared to Zoom Yukonori, anybody's voice sounds terrible. I mean, we all I mean, sound like squeaky people on here. Yeah, I mean, Barry yeah, White's man. Barry White's like Zoom. Give me a break over here, man. Come trying to <laughs> trying to score. So uh, <laughs> we got an email from our pal Chuck Coletta. He says, "I never saw Nanny the Professor either, but was aware of the show until this year. Episodes of this bewitched slash I Dream of Genie knockoff are being rerun on the Get TV channel, similar to Me TV, and also on Hulu." He's referring to the fact that every time Shag says Ronnie and the Professor, I hear Nanny and the Professor, which was an old 60s TV show that I've never seen. I just know exists. And I just can't help but think it every time I hear Ronnie and the Professor. That's what I hear in my head. You are an old, old, old man trapped in a middle-aged body. Um, next, we heard from our buddy Dr. <laughs> Ange, who does the Supergirl blog, which is called Comic Box Commentary. He's also part of the wait, Legion of Super just wait until Heroes Con. You, you, I'm going to have the women dripping off. Oh, we got to talk about that. Okay, so we're going to pause the... Sorry, Ange. Hang on a second. Um, as, as if he's like <laughs> in the room real, with real time. <laughs> he's in the middle of performing life-saging surgery, and he's stopping now, so we can wait until we get back. He's literally an emergency room doctor, folks. Uh, okay, so Heroes Con, Charlotte, North Carolina, in June, Father's Day weekend. We are going. Rob will be there. 
I will be there. The Sutherlands will be there. Uh, Keechi Baker will be there. Tom Zoller will be there. Uh, what? Michelle I didn't know that. Wait a minute. I'm not going. Then. Hold on. Well, well I can understand. Uh, <laughs> Michelle Fife will be there. Russell Burbage will be there. Oh, gee, uh, Stella's going to be there. Lots and lots of people. Uh, I'm forgetting some people. Forgive me. And it's going to be – the Franklins, of course. The Franklins are going to be there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning what he was talking about, how they all just like sleep piled up on each other, Kentucky style. <laughs> when they pull in, you know you're going to hear the Beverly Hillbillies music playing in the background. He's going to be like, Rob, that RV's going home with me. Don't get your heart set on it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the cement pond? <laughs> oh, we're sorry, Chris. <laughs> Anyway, um, it's going to be a blast. You guys got to come. We're all going to get together. You know, we're going to anybody who listens to the show that's going to be there. We're going to get in touch. We're going to try and go out for like dinner and play games in the hotel late at night. You know, and just have a good time. Luke Dobb will be there. We didn't mention. Luke oh, Luke, yeah, we didn't mention Luke Dobb. Of course, he's going to be there. Oh, it's going to be uh, so much fun. I'm so looking forward. I've got my ticket. I actually leave it. I have the little paper that says you're going or whatever. It's on my desk, just facing me, and gives me motivation to get through the day at work. So. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. So, all right. Uh, and all right I'm, I apologize. Andrew, Andrew, I apologize. Put that, in put advance that bladder that, uh, back in that man, so you can. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say I apologize in advance that Rob's going to have to be there too, folks. But it'll, it's still going to be fun. It's gonna all be right. Um, so, Doctor Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, also the Legion of Super Bloggers, and who will be appearing on the upcoming Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes episodes. He says, fun episode. Uh, remember, I was buying Firestorm at this point, so I remember the Slipknot and the Rawhide Rope. I never did understand the feedback issue with it being organic either. This was even more maddening when the answer could have been something as dumb as the monitor gave him me a special rope that you can't affect. That totally would have worked better, Ange. Totally would have worked better. Then we heard from Jeff R. He followed it up saying, even with that, Firestorm still would have to forget that he could go intangible at will to make Slipknot any kind of threat. And that is true. Firestorm did forget he could go intangible until the very end when he used it effectively to smash the crap out of Slipknot. Who, by the way, I don't know if you heard, Slipknot, he can climb any wall. Hmm. Uh, or anything, I think. That's his tagline in uh, That's his tagline in the movie, Suicide Squad. He can climb anything. That's, that's, that's his shtick. Yeah, okay. Uh, then we heard from the aforementioned Chris Franklin from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does the Supermates Podcast, the Power Records Podcast, the Batman Nightcast, and he's affectionately known as Mrs. Franklin's Boy Toy. He says, I was stumped by Slipknot's twisted ankle in the otherwise great Lord of the Dance panel on page 20, but I think I have it figured out. He's supposed to be twisting his lower body with his left leg closest to the reader and his right leg in the background, but Kanan should have drawn in a butt cheek or something to show we were looking at his rear end his slick all black no highlight design was working against him here huh. chris with the artistic eye of course noticed these kinds of things i wish i had another friend who maybe went to art school or something that could have noticed these things but whatever oh i just tuned out during that segment so. <laughs> uh during slipknot you tuned out during slipknot seriously no that's not really Plausible, actually. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez, <laughs> executive producer of Pod Dylan, wrote in to say, What gives? Ryan calls me hacky. I get uninvited from the South Carolina convention. What's with the treatment? I'm not Diablo Frank. I'm one of the good guys. Aww. I love David. And believe it or not, uh, in less than a month, I'm going to be hanging out with him. No, just over a month. I'm sorry, about six weeks from now. I'm going to be hanging out with him. So, in L.A.? I'm very jealous of it. We're going down Rodeo Drive. We're going up the Beverly Hills. Uh, we got the. We're going to go to the Hollywood sign. We've got a couple of parties, uh, some signings to do. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> okay. 
or we're going to be hanging out in the basement of a Doctor Who convention. That might be more of what we're going to do, but that's okay. It's going to be awesome. Uh, then we heard from our buddy Gene Hendricks from the Hammer Strikes podcast and blog. He does uh, shows like Legends of the Superheroes, Quantum Cast, and a lot more on the Two True Freaks Network. And the only man alive brave enough to invite both Rob and I into his house. Uh, he says, is the shower bit a running gag with Firestorm? Ronnie getting fused into Firestorm while in the shower happens here and also in Legends. If it happens too much, he might just start showering in a bathing suit. <laughs> He'd be uh, one of those never nudes, I guess. Um, heard from Mark Baker Wright, who does Black Rock's, Black Rock's Toy Box. Oof, that's a hard thing to say. Blog. Um, Mark says, the idea that Firestorm couldn't affect organics was never handled consistently. Boy, he's right about that. Uh, my favorite explanation is along the lines of what they suggested in the Eden storyline during the Blank Slate area. That the limitation was more mental than physical, especially in regard to sentient beings. Basically, Firestorm couldn't affect organics only because he believed he couldn't. And then he goes on to say, of course, the Eden storyline also led to the ludicrous explanation for why the elemental Firestorm stopped using his transmutation powers, which has been rightly forgotten. Um, yeah, I mean, there was there's the, his transmutation powers, depending on the writer, they've really played with that over the years. Clearly, even within the Fury of Firestorm run, where Jerry's the editor, it's still not consistent. Uh, it's because it, the fact is his power is a game breaker. You know, the being able to transmute one thing into another is a complete game breaker in super heroics. It's why you never let a character have that in role playing games because it just ends badly for you as the GM. And uh, and they just got to figure out a way to handicap them, really, is what it boils down to. Then we heard from our buddy Van Z, who used to do the All Star Comics review podcast. Sadly, it is uh, it doesn't look to be alive anymore, but it was a lot of fun when it was out there. And most importantly, Van Z should be known as my buddy Al Gerding, who loves the character of the Red Bee, just like me. He says, "Great episode. I have a thought. Couldn't Ronnie make himself new clothes as Firestorm? He shouldn't worry about reappearing naked." Or as he wrote, naked. <laughs> so I guess what he's saying is what Firestorm could do is whenever they, they land, just before they fission into Ronnie the Professor, he could create like a pile of clothes on the ground for Ronnie to change into. Hmm, he could do that. That's clever. Got a message from Alexander Osias. And previously he mentioned this, he had a suggestion about that we do some sort of like retrospective guidelines episode, which gives like the history of Aquaman and Firestorm. And both Chag and I were kind of just groaned at the, uh, the idea of the work of that. And so we sort of uh, scotched that idea. And so Alexander responds, oh, come on, guys. It would be great to do that Firestorm Aquaman retrospective and guidelines episode. Rob, you can always get that Ryan Daly guy to help. I hear he's not doing anything with his time. <laughs> you know, as, 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 as we record this, Ryan is, like, deathly ill. Uh, so uh, maybe this would be a good time to ask him to do it because he's not recording anything at the moment. So. Well, as, as I understand, he's lost his voice, too, so that'd be a really engaging couple of episodes. <laughs> well, no, you just have him do all the writing. I just want him to do the uh, research. I'll, I'll say it all. I just don't want to do all the homework. That's all. There you go. Yeah. Uh, mm. Although I think he's kind of working on Nightcast and all the other stuff right now, but whatever. He's not doing anything of consequence. I no. Mean, that's for sure. Then we heard from uh, Hugh DeMann. Which I love is so funny. He he's the gentleman who wrote all the Fury of Firestorm really in deep uh, in depth synopsis over on Comics Fine. He uh, he said he loved our review of issue number twenty eight and he was very thrilled. Hashtag Slipknot. 
then uh, Alexander Adrock also said <laughs> when when we were promoting the issue uh, the episode, he goes, "About time! I've been waiting for this since 2011, which is when we started the podcast." So, truth, well, we've all been waiting for this moment. Heard from Gareth Oliver. He also says he can't wait. Movie star Slipknot. Oh, Gareth, I hope you still felt that way after seeing the movie. And then uh, Ali Alameda says, after less than a year, I've listened to 183 episodes of the Fire and Water podcast and every Who's Who podcast except for the two Star Trek, which is the uh, in the feed to still listen to. And, um, yeah, again, we talked about him earlier in the iTunes reviews. What a what a monster, this guy. Just going through all those. I, I, now, it's funny. He mentioned earlier the five-hour episode. That's, of course, episode number 50 with Frank um, where we did the DC samplers. And I don't know if you've ever listened. Have you listened back to that one, Rob? I listened to it once a couple of years ago. No, not a couple of years ago. A couple of months ago. It is It is a descent into madness. Yeah, we really it, lose it around hour three. But it's just like it's just like so funny because we have we just we have gone bonkers by the end of it, and like it's what do you call that? Um, not Helsinki syndrome. That's what they said in Die Hard, right? Stockholm right. syndrome. I always I always say that the Die Hard version, of right? It, but yeah. it's like by then by the end of it, you're like caught up in that, and you're just like you're you're right there with us. So it's uh, it's fun. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it is fun. It is fun. Um, yeah, but it's 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 a it's a long show. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, we got a. And then finally, we got a, another comment from Michelle Fife. Fife, is that how you say it? Yeah, Michelle Fife. Michelle Fife. Sorry, Michelle. Uh, he's the uh, guy behind Copra, the comic book Copra, and he was a recent guest on JLI, which we just talked about. And he mentions Raphael Canaan rocking the Perez, blowing it on a building worth every brick. And he's talking about that page that I pointed out where Firestorm is going over this building that is, like, incredibly detailed, like, architecturally drawn within an inch of its life. And that is a very Perez thing to do. It's kind of like, I'm just drawing this full out, damn it. We're going to do it. And, it, you know, since Michelle does his own comic book, it you know, as a fellow artist, he recognizes when somebody really puts that kind of effort into it. Absolutely, absolutely. It is, it is a gorgeous page. Just looking at it, it's woof. It is beautiful. So, well, I think that is going to do it. Uh, another episode in the books. So, folks, um, hopefully, we'll get the next one out in a month. If not, we'll catch up a little bit. But in the meantime, you can find my friend Rob out on the social media as Aquaman Shrine on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find him under Film and Water. Oh my gosh, this is going to take a while. Film and Water Pod, Treasury Cast, uh, Pod Dylan. Uh, your mama, um, with real Donald Trump. Um, got it. You've got a bunch of handles out there. I don't really. I lose well, track. I think just film and water pot and treasury comics is is good. There. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. We'll just use those for now. Anyway, and then of course uh, you can find me at Firestorm Fan on Facebook and Twitter as well. Really, the best place though is head to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go up to the Shows tab, find the Aquaman and Firestorm ep- uh, show. Go to that, and you can find a link for this episode, which is 184, and leave your comments there because we would love to hear from you about these issues. We want to hear from you about the Aquaman issues, how awesome the Shaggy Man was, how awesome those variant covers are, how awesome Mara was, how awesome the Justice League was. We want to hear oh, how awesome Bazooka Joan was. You know, whatever. I want to hear all your thoughts, folks. Please leave us a comment, and we will, of course, cover them next time we get together. Anything else I'm forgetting, Rob? Uh, we're closing in on 200. Can you believe it? Wow. I mean, we've certainly done more than 200 episodes right. now. Right, right, right. We've done, but, yeah. But yeah, the official episode 200. So I think we're planning something big for that one, right? I think so. Awesome. I hope we figure out what that's going to be soon. <laughs> I'm sure we'll figure it out right after 199. <laughs> Actually, we have a we have a pretty good idea, folks. And uh, the nice part is we think uh, it's going to be a way to celebrate you guys, the listeners, is, is the plan. 
because basically we're just coming to all your houses. So, and we're <laughs> going to expect you to feed us. So anyway, um, <laughs> uh, until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. There's an incident at the Hudson Nuclear Power Plant. A group of unknown origin has infiltrated the central core. It's 10 minutes from total meltdown. Are any of you close by? I'm in the middle of something halfway across the world. I'll never make it in time. Me neither. I'm a couple galaxies away. It'll take several hours for me to get there. Hold on a second. There has to be someone close enough to get there in time. Flash, no one can get a hold of. Green Lantern is in another galaxy, same as you. Martian Manhunter, well, he's on Mars. Wait, it looks like somebody might be on their way. Who is it? According to the database, he has the power to control matter at the atomic level. He sounds perfect. Just one thing. He's a teenager, and he talks to himself a lot. The kid calls himself Firestorm. Fasten your seatbelt, Professor Stein. Because the heat is on! The heat is what? The heat is on! Woo! Yeah, that's our new superhero catchphrase. Pretty cool, huh? What's not cool is this power plant. By my calculations, it's in the final phases of meltdown. Yeah, the Firestorm is at the bad stuff and save the day. The heat is on! Woo! I'm sorry, I love saying it. It's crudely put, but yeah.